about to hear an anointed, powerful word that will change your life from Treasure Coast Victory Center. Be blessed as your faith goes from one level of glory to another level of glory. All right, take your Bibles tonight, go to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, right near the front of your Bible. Look at verse 26. It says, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female, he created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. This shows you the creation of man and God's intent and his will right off the bat. He created man with something called dominion or authority. Basically, man was created in God's image after God's likeness, and he was given dominion. Here it says he had dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. Man was created to rule and reign over all of the earth. That means that man was never created to be subject to anything. Mankind, in God's mind, was never going to be in bondage to this or in bondage to that because he was created God's underruler and given the ability to rule here in the earth realm or in the natural realm, basically. So this was God's plan, and this was God's will from the very beginning. When man basically fell and Adam fell, he lost this dominion that he had because he rebelled against God, and basically at that time, spiritual death came on the inside of him. This allowed sickness and disease, it allowed fear, it allowed guilt, it allowed all these things into the earth realm in order to plague mankind. When Adam disobeyed and sinned, basically all those things came into the earth realm and man became subject to those things. He lost his right to rule, his ability to command, and he lost that for all of mankind. Now how many know God's plan never changes? Even when man messes it up, it doesn't matter. God will restore or bring things back to his plan and his will. So God's plan for man has never changed. He always wanted mankind or you to have dominion and to rule in this earth realm. All right, go to Luke chapter 10. Say, I have dominion. All right, Luke chapter 10, look at verse 18. Jesus is basically prophesying or predicting the future. Verse 18, he says, And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, or look, or pay attention, I give you now power and authority, the word there is actually authority, to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing by any means shall ever hurt you, notwithstanding in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written where? 
in heaven. So here's God basically. He's telling him the plan that he has. He is going to suffer and die, and he's going to die on the cross. And basically at that time, he's going to restore to mankind the authority that mankind originally had. Here he says, behold, in other words, pay attention. I give you authority over all, say all, Notice, all the power of the enemy. In other words, now mankind has authority over the curse, has it over sickness and disease, has it over worry, has it over fear. Basically, he has been given the ability to tread on or to rule serpents and demons and everything that's in this natural world. Why do you have this awesome dominion? Why do you have authority over all? Here it says, because your name is written in heaven. So once you got born again and got born into the kingdom of God, authority was given back to you at that time. It's not something you've got to go after. It's not something you've got to pray for. It's not something you have to seek. You have dominion in this earth realm right now because your name is written in heaven. So in the new birth, all authority, all dominion was reinstated to the believer. We now have the right to rule, to command, to be a master over sin, sickness, demons, and the curse. Jesus got back all authority in heaven and on earth for the born-again believer. Say, I have authority to rule and command in the earth. Now, the only question tonight then is, are you using it? Are you using what God has given you? Sure, people say, praise God, I've got the authority. But are you using that authority in your daily life to run things out of your life that don't belong there? Worry is an enemy to you. Fear is an enemy to you. Sickness is an enemy to you. All these things are enemies, but notice you have authority over all these things now. You do not have to bow down to them when they start to attack your life. All right, go to James chapter 1. All right, James chapter 1, look at verse 12. It says, Blessed is the man that endures temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted that I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither does he tempt any man. So this basically explains God. Basically, it tells you that you are called to endure temptation when it comes. You're not here to bow to sin. You're not here to jump into sin. You're basically supposed to endure, not give into, and notice you will be tried. How many of you have figured that out? Come on, you're going to be tempted to sin, but you're also going to be tempted to get sick. What should I do? Endure, not give into it. Remain in my position where I'm at. Use my authority at that time. Look at verse 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. Here it tells you basically when you're tempted, do not say that it's from God. But how many know the church has for years? They blame God for trials. They blame him for temptations. They blame him for sickness, hardships, near-death experiences. But the word says, let no man, does that include you? Sure. Let no man say at that time that this is from God. God's trying to teach me. He's just growing me up. God cannot be tempted. Neither does he tempt any man. When tempted to sin, notice it's not from God. When tempted to skip church, it's not from God. When tempted to get sick, it's not from God. How many of you know you're tempted sometimes to skip church? Well, I'm a little tired this morning. I just don't really feel like getting up and I'll probably be teaching on the same thing over and over again. That's the devil, praise God, why he wants to keep you out from underneath the word of God because you're certainly going to get something. Hallelujah. All right, look at verse 16. 
Do not err or make a mistake, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and it comes down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. That means every good gift comes from God. God's not going to change and give you, start giving you bad gifts just because you made some mistakes. No, He gives you good gifts. So every good gift and every perfect gift is from God above. If it's not a good gift and not a perfect gift, it is not a God gift. So what am I supposed to do? I am supposed to cast down thoughts and imaginations of bad gifts. I'm supposed to use my authority to resist sin, resist sickness, resist worry, resist fear. Temptation to sin will come. But notice, temptation to sin is not sin. It's only when you sin, praise God, it's sin. What do I need to do? Endure when it comes. Same way with sickness. When sickness tries to get into your life, you need to resist it and endure, hold up under. The church has been taught when tempted to sin, to lie or to cheat or or to get offended, basically, you just allow it to happen because that's just what happens and everything else. As you grow into things of the Lord, you're going to find out that you don't have to put up with sin anymore in your life, and you're going to start to resist sin when it comes to tempt you. But it's the same way with sickness and disease. When a symptom comes, the worst thing you can do is claim it. See, when something hits your physical body or comes upon you and you start to claim it, you have received that, basically. So what do you need to do? Once again, you, you can't blame it on God. You, you can't basically claim it. You need to resist it or endure under it. Notice there's a crown for those people who actually stand in faith and resist this stuff that's coming. So the victory over sin and over sickness was done at the same time. When was it done? When Jesus died on the cross, he provided not only salvation, but he provided divine health for every single person. We are called to endure when temptation and trials come, whether it's to sin or to get sick. Trials and temptations are not from God. Who are they from? From Satan. Hallelujah. Go up to James chapter 4. You're going to come into a place where you grow, where there's going to be a wall right down the middle. And when things come into your life, you're either going to know they're God or the devil. See, we know when it's from God, and this is worry. No, it's from the devil. This is fear. No, it's demonic. This is sickness. No, it's demonic. See, it's one or the other. It's God or the devil. It's not God, then worry and fear, and then the devil. You're on one side or the other, and we learn to accept these things, basically, and you cannot accept them. You have to resist them because you're the one with the authority to do that in your life. All right, James chapter 4, look at verse 6. But he gives more grace, wherefore he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace unto the humble. Submit yourself therefore to God, resist the devil, and what will happen? He will flee from you. So this is, once again, information for us. Temptation comes, a symptom attacks. It's not of God. What am I going to do? Well, first of all, I'm going to submit to God. I'm going to agree with what God says. I'm going to stay in right standing with God because that's what righteousness is. So I'm going to agree with what God says. Has God ever called you sick? Has he ever called you fearful? Has he ever called you worried? No. So that's not agreement with God. I am going to agree with God that I'm going to resist the devil. I'm going to resist sin, resist the symptom. And basically what it says here, he will do what? He will flee. Praise God. So I'm not really praying to get healed. I'm not really struggling to get healed. I am just staying in line with God's word. I'm using my authority and I'm resisting the devil. And according to this, he will flee or the temptation will go. Now look at verse 6. But he gives more grace, wherefore he says, God resists the proud, but he gives more grace unto the who? Humble. Humble. 
So what's he talking about here? He's talking about those who cut themselves off from the grace of God. How do they do that? They get in pride. What is pride? Pride is thinking you know more than God knows. In other words, I know God says I'm healed, but I'm sick. I know God says I shouldn't sin, but I got to sin. I know God, la, la, la. What are you doing? You're disagreeing with God, thinking you know more than he does. God has said you are healed. God has said you are redeemed. Yet that voice in your head tells you you're sick. And people sin and then say, the devil made me do it. How many know you can't blame the devil? Come on, everybody wants to blame the devil. You can't blame the devil. He'll take credit for it. He's proud of that, basically, but it's up to you. Sin shall have no dominion over you anymore. So basically, then we are healed in spite of our symptom when it comes, and basically, you will be healed. When a symptom comes, you will either be healed or sick in your own mind. When you get hit with a symptom, your mind's going to go one direction or the other. It's either, man, I'm getting sick, or bless God, thank God, I'm healed from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. That's what renewing the mind does. It gets you to a place where you automatically, say automatically, automatically, submit to God. See, you just immediately submit to God. While you've been trained up to do that, the Bible says you can even train your senses between good and evil. So as I hear the word, as I practice the word, as I act on the word, you have to act on the word. That's where your growth comes. So I'm going to act on the word. So the first time a symptom hit me and I found out that by his stripes I was healed, I rebuked the thing, praise God, and I said, I'm healed, hallelujah. And you know what? I felt worse. And I said, no, I'm really healed, praise God. And you know what? I felt worse. Why is that? I never did this before. I didn't know what I was doing before. I never used it before. I never practiced it before. I never, um, how many know it took you a while to ride a bike? You got on it, fell down, got on it, fell down. Finally, you got up and did it. It's the same way with spiritual things. The more you practice spiritual things, the better you become at those spiritual things, praise God. So it'll come to the place, basically, where you, it'll just come to you when you get hit with something. It's the same way, you know, in the natural realm. Some things make you happy just by hearing them, and some things make you sad just by hearing them. What is that? That's a re reaction to what you have heard. So basically, what do we want to do? We want to understand that we are not trying to get healed. We are the healed. Say, I am, I am. The, healed. the healed. See, you're the righteous, the Bible says. He's made you the righteousness of God. You're not a sinner trying to become righteous. You are righteous, and sin is trying to attack your righteousness. And your righteousness was not provided by you, not by your good works. It was provided by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. All right, go to Matthew chapter 8. All right, Matthew chapter 8, let's look at verse 5. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lies at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, Go, and he goes, and to another, Come, and he comes, and to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not even in Israel. The next spiritual dimension that the church is going to, and I believe a lot of believers are going to, is simply right there where it says, Speak the word only. We're coming into the uh, Jesus realm to where if you, if you ever follow Jesus, you study his stuff, all Jesus did in every situation was simply speak the word only. 
He just spoke the word. He didn't give a 45-minute uh, thing on what was going on or what, what the sickness was. He just spoke the word every single time. Now, why can we do that? Because the Bible said that here on earth we are kings and we are priests. How many know the king's word has some clout behind it? Well, as a king, then, you want to speak the word, a bold command of godly truth. What's the results? Well, according to the Bible, the devil will go, sickness will shrivel, money will come, depression will break, the blind will see, the deaf will hear, the crippled they will walk. Why is that? Because look at verse 9. For I am a man under authority, I have soldiers under me, and I say to this man, go, and he goes to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he doeth that. You will start to understand that authority and dominion have been given to you, and when you tell things to go, they go. When you say come, they come. When you say do this, they do this. Now, why is that? Because once again, authority and dominion has been restored to the believer just like it was in Genesis chapter 1 that we ran in the beginning. Basically, back then, God gave you dominion and authority. Adam messed it up, but God has restored to every single believer the authority that Adam had and the power that Adam had at that time. So we all have dominion, all have authority to rule. You have authority to reign in this life, to lord over the curse, to be a master over all devils. How are we going to do that? We're going to speak the word only. There's not going to be any more long deliverances, all-night struggles, lengthy prayers of unbelief and hope. We're simply going to speak the word, and it is going to take place. The church is going to go through an attitude adjustment. Say attitude adjustment. Now, let's see Jesus' attitude first. How many think his attitude is probably the best? Look at verse 6. Centurion came and saying, Lord, my servant lies at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and pray for him. I will come and visit him. I will come and I'll comfort him. No, he told you exactly what he was going to do. I'm going to come and do what? Now, how many know that's bold? You don't hear that very much, do you? Well, I'll come and pray for you. I'll come and help you. I'll come and comfort you. But Jesus knew what was going to happen when he got there and spoke the word. He said, I'm going to come, praise God, and I'm going to heal you. Hallelujah. So Jesus understood his authority and his right to rule over sickness and disease. Jesus was sent not just to visit, to comfort, to pray for the sick, but he knew what he was supposed to do, heal the sick. The church has been commanded, and you're part of the church, to heal sickness and disease, to cleanse the lepers, to raise the dead, to cast out devils. It seems like fiction sometimes to our minds because we've not meditated on it, but God called us to heal the sick. How are we going to do it in the future? We're going to speak the word only. Praise God. Okay, go to Luke chapter 4. I remember even before I understood this, even studied this stuff, you know, you just start doing stuff and you just, you know, you're laying hands on everybody, you think it moves and you're doing everything you want. And one time I went in a hospital and there was a guy there who was a dad of somebody that I was working with and basically they gave him two days to live and I just walked in and didn't really think. It just came up out of the inside of me. I said, if you, if you want to die, stay in bed. If you want to live, get up out of there and leave. And I walked out of the room. I didn't say in Jesus' name. I didn't say, and I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying whatever I had to say. I said my piece and I got out of there. And a the guy thought, well, I, I don't want to die. So I might as well get up and get out of here. And how I many know he got up, got dressed, left there, and he was still alive five, six, seven, eight years later when I found out about it. It was nothing lengthy. It was just what the Spirit of God needed to say to the guy at that time that would adjust his thinking so that it would work in his life. It wasn't anything exceptional by me. It was just speaking what the Spirit of God spoke at that time. How I many know the Bible actually says there's some situations you'll get into where you don't have to try to think it out because the Spirit who's on the inside of you will tell you what to say at that time. I hate that. I don't want at that time. I want it an hour before. 
Come on, don't we all? Uh, we're going in the room to pray for somebody now. Give me what to say. Come on, give me what to say. Pace around. No, when you get there, it comes just like, it's almost like a prophetic thing that hits you and you just speak it out at that time. But we all want to know, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G beforehand. But the Holy Ghost many times doesn't work that way. Praise God. All right, Luke chapter 4. Look at verse 38. And Jesus arose out of the synagogue and entered into Simon's house. And Simon's wife's mother was taken with a great fever, and they besought him for her. And he stood over her, and he rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose up and started ministering to them. Now here's Peter's mother-in-law had a great fever. How many of you ever had a fever? Have, haven't we? In the world, if people aren't born again, they have no authority, don't know they got it, and they get a fever, what do they do? They take an aspirin, maybe they use a washcloth to cool down, take a cool bath. But notice, but Jesus was spiritually alive. He was anointed and he knew he had authority. So what did he do? He rebuked the fever. And what did it do? It left her. Now what left her? The fever. Why? Because he what? Rebuked it. Well, what if he wouldn't have rebuked it? What if you just said, that's too bad, and you probably don't like your mother-in-law anyway, Peter, so just let her sit there and rot, praise God, because they don't get along. No, it wasn't that way, hallelujah. He knew exactly what God wanted to do. Glory to God. And people say all the time, but what if I speak to the fever and it doesn't go? You need an aspirin. Are you listening? If that's your thoughts at that time, you better take a bottle of aspirin and just use it at that. Because you're not ready. Do you see what I mean? You're not ready yet for that. You're, this isn't something you try. I'm going to give it a shot. Don't give it a shot, praise God. It's something that you've grown into, something you understand, just like 2 plus 2 is 4. You don't care why it's 4, but it is, you know. If you think 2 plus 1 is 4, then you're going to be mixed up all your life. This is stuff that you will learn on the inside of you spiritually, and it will be easy for you to do when the time comes. So here it says you have authority over a fever. Say, I have authority, I have authority. over a fever. Now, the only reason to continue to act like the world is no knowledge of the anointing, no knowledge of your authority as a born-again believer. If you are healed and you are redeemed and Satan is defeated, then we have authority over all these things. Then why are so many Christians still sick and diseased? Well, basically because even though we've been liberated by Jesus' blood from the Satan and the enemy, Satan's rule has been destroyed by Christ, Satan's power has been taken away from him, there remains a host of demons who continue to resist our freedom and resent our victory. How many know in the natural realm, sooner or later, they continue to try to steal your freedom? Well, in the spiritual realm, it's the same way. There are demons there who want to take away the freedoms that you have, basically, because flat out, they don't like you. They don't want you to take part in everything that God has provided for you. So there remains still a host of demons who want to steal what belongs to you. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So demon spirits really who have no legal rights continue to oppress and attack believers with disease. But they know that thousands of people do not understand that they've been defeated and that believers actually have authority over them. So what do demons do? They will come and tempt you with sickness and disease to inflict sickness against you even though you are redeemed. Remember, Satan's prowling the earth, seeking whom he may. He's not devouring everybody. He's seeking whom he may devour. Who may devour? People that don't know they have authority. They don't know they've been redeemed from sickness and disease. They don't know they've been redeemed. So naturally they get sick. They just say they're sick and go along with it. So as long as people do not know about Satan's legal defeat, he will operate unhindered. How many know it's time to resist him? And the Bible tells us to resist him steadfast in the faith. So Jesus rebuked the fever and what happened to it? 
it left. Hallelujah. Go to Mark chapter 1. All right, Mark chapter 1, look at verse 40. And there came a leper to Jesus, beseeching him and kneeling down to him and saying unto him, If you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him and said unto him, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him and he was cleansed. Hallelujah. Good story, huh? So here's leprosy. Leper comes down, he says, if you want to, I know you can. And Jesus simply answered his questions, I want to, and I will. Hallelujah. So now notice what it says in verse 42. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed. Jesus knew he had dominion once again, authority even over one of the worst diseases that there are. He simply said, be thou clean. Leprosy had no choice. It departed. Pains will go. Worries will go. Fevers will go. Fear will go because we have, once again, authority. Jesus did not rehearse the leper's condition. Did not say, boy, you look bad. You got sores all over you, man. It's got to be painful with that stuff. Man, I'm telling you, you don't want to do that to build faith in their disease and sickness. You want to avoid that. He simply commanded the desired end result, be clean, and he was clean. Now, notice verse 41. And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand, and did what? touched him. Now, how many of you know he wasn't supposed to touch him? Nobody touches them with leprosy. I mean, nobody gets close to anybody with corona. I mean, I mean, leprosy. Sorry, I got a little mixed up there. Hallelujah. No, nobody does that stuff. Why? Because it's highly contagious and nobody's allowed to do it. Yet Jesus, I think some of this stuff he did on purpose, I swear. You know, he could have, he could have spoke it without touching him, but he just had to, he just couldn't help himself. He had to do it. You know what I mean? He had to break every religious law there was there. He had to put his hand on him. He had to do it. Why is that? Just because he was showing people that the power of God is bigger than religion. Glory to God. And this was a highly contagious disease. But Jesus did it anyway. How many know he didn't have any fear? He didn't run someplace and wash his hands real quick because he thought he got something. No, he knew what the authority was he had. If you're afraid of sickness and disease a lot of times it will not work for you. In other words, if you've got to pray for somebody who's got an, a, a thing and you've got to make them stand back there in a the corner because you don't want to get too close to them, sometimes you don't know that you have authority. Are you following me over sickness and disease or you wouldn't be afraid to do that? Now, I'm not telling you to run up, tackle them, and hug them either. I'm telling you to use common sense, praise God, on what's going on. Hallelujah. All right, go to Mark 5. And if you don't think this is demonic, that people end up in the hospital and the pastor can't even get in and lay hands on them, I'm telling you what, it's demonic. Yes. Yes. All right, Mark chapter 5, look at verse 22. And behold, there comes one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little girl lies at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her that she may be healed and she shall live. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. All right, Jairus came. His daughter was on the deathbed. Jesus went with him. Notice what both of them were expecting at this time, that she would be healed and she would live. All right, look at verse 35. While he had spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master 
anymore. Now, this was a man, this was a servant, basically came and he said, hey, basically she's dead. You might as well not bother the master anymore because she's already dead. So whether you're dealing with healing for yourself or healing with someone else, you're going to end up with contrary reports that come against your mind. What do you have to do to them? You've got to immediately cast down thoughts and imaginations that try to exalt themselves against the Word of God. This man basically injected fear, death, defeat, worry into this situation. I don't believe he did it on purpose. He just did not know any better to not say that. So look at verse 36. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, how soon? As soon as he heard it, he said unto the ruler of the synagogue, be not afraid, only what? So what was he doing? He wasn't pondering it. Well, if he's dead, I might as well go home. What do you think, dad? Do you think he's gonna, she's going to be all right? No, basically he immediately cast down thoughts and imaginations and said, be not afraid, only believe. What was he doing? The same thing that we have to do in our situations. We have to do the mind control. We have to keep the mind on the Word of God. So basically here it talks about, and notice who he took with him, the dad, verse 37, and he suffered no man to follow him except Peter, James, and John, and the brother James, and the dad. So apparently the dad took his word or else if he went into doubt and unbelief, Jesus would have never took him along to do this. So what he said changed the guy's mind. They were gone to the place. When they got there in verse 39, it says, And when he was come in, he saith unto them, Why make you this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead, but she does what? Sleeps. Now notice, this tells you that pity parties are dangerous. Pity parties are dangerous in your life. Sympathy and excuses will not help the sick. They will not help you. You have to declare war on every sickness, every disease, and understand that you are in a war and a battle, not in some kind of feely, emotional thing. If you're going to minister to other people, you have to keep your wits about you. Look at verse 40. What did he do to these people? But they laughed him to scorn, but when he had put them all out. Hallelujah. How many know that was popular? If you're looking to build a large church, you definitely want to throw people out of the room before you go in to do something. Glory to God. And notice he took the father and the mother of the damsel and, of course, his disciples, and they entered into the place. But he put them out. Say, put them out. He says to the little girl, arise to the dead girl. Basically, she arose and she got up. Hallelujah. Now, how many know, once again, that took a certain amount of revelation to stand before someone who was dead and tell them to arise. Hallelujah. Glory to God. All right, go to John chapter 11. It's hard to get six teachings in the last one. All right, John chapter 11, look at verse 41. This is where Lazarus basically was dead, and they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of these people which stand here, I say that, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, Come forth. And he that was dead came forth bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound with a napkin. And Jesus said, Loose him and let him go. 
Now, here comes Jesus. Lazarus is already dead. Lazarus has already been in the tomb for four days. He's on his way there. And twice, women come up to him and says, if you'd have been here, if you'd have been here, he'd have never died. What were they doing? They were blaming his death on Jesus. If you'd have just got here earlier, if you'd have just been here, but notice Jesus just kept coming, didn't let it bother him. The question is, how far will your dominion go as far as you believe it will go? So you may have headache dominion or you may have raise the dead dominion, depending on where your dominion's at. You may have sinus dominion and you may have flu dominion. You may have whatever you've got. And notice verse 43. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with what? Now I'll tell you what, this would have been a good time for a silent prayer in my opinion. Come on, you're standing before somebody who's in the tomb for four days. I said, feel like, yeah, get up, rise. Come on, wouldn't you? You wouldn't say, arise and come out of the grave. I mean, how many know it takes some authority and revelation to do that? This is join hands and pray in tongues, you know. Why is that? Because he was not afraid of missing it because he knew what was going to happen when he did it because he knew the authority that he had. I mean, Lazarus had been in there for four days, and Jesus cries with a loud voice. He knew he had a legal right to raise that man from the dead. He already said his father was going to hear him. Why was he going to hear him? Because if we pray anything in God's will, we know that he hears us. So he knew in his heart that it was God's will to raise Lazarus from the dead. He could speak it out loud, and when he did that, he got up and got out. Praise God. All right, go to Mark chapter 11. thing is, in the Word of God, every word seems to mean something, you know. I mean, what the, they had to put loud in there just to make a point. He said it in a loud, they just could have said, and he whispered it, or he mentioned it. But no, he said it in a loud voice. What's that to do? To make an impression on you, to understand. All right, Mark chapter 11. Look at verse 12. And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And he saw a fig tree afar off, having leaves. He came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not. And Jesus answered and said unto the tree, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples what? Heard it. Hallelujah. Verse 20. And in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the what? Roots. And Peter calling to remember said unto him, Master, behold the fig tree which thou cursest, it withered away. Once again, here's Jesus. He's basically coming. Look at verse 14. It says, and Jesus did what? Verse 14, and Jesus answered. Say answered. Answer. Notice, he didn't just speak to the tree. He answered the tree. In order for him to answer something, it had to be speaking to him first. How many of you know things will talk to you? That pain in your shoulder will talk to you. That pain in your foot will talk to you. Fear will talk to you. Worry will talk to you. This tree was talking to it. So what did he do? He just said, You're, no man going to eat fruit of you again. You're going to die. How I many know that tree shut up in a hurry? <laughs> Praise God. He got it across. So basically, in the morning they came by, and once again, it says, when he said it, and his disciples heard it. Say, his disciples heard it. Once again, great place for a silent prayer. You don't want all your followers and everybody to hear it. What if it don't happen? What if that tree in the morning has figs on when they go by again? My God, maybe it's got more figs than it ever had before. If you're thinking that way, you're not ready yet to do that. Are you following me? So basically, he knew what was going on, and he did it. Now, notice what he says. Basically, they, 
Peter says, my gosh, look at that tree that you cursed. It withers away. And Jesus answered and said unto them, verse 22, just have faith in God. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he says shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he what? Says. So what's he doing? He didn't go to them and said, well, you guys can't do this. Don't you know who I am? I'm Jesus. You're my disciples. I speak to fevers, they go. I speak to trees, they die. But you'll never be able to do this. No, he says, don't be so impressed by it because whosoever shall say, not pray that God will remove it, but shall say, not pray for God to say, but they shall say, if they say to the mountain, sickness, curse, debt, what will happen? It will move. Praise God. The church is too busy talking about the mountain, and it gets bigger. If you talk to the mountain, it gets smaller. What are you doing? You got to use your authority and your power and once again cast down every thought and every imagination that comes against the Word of God. So Jesus basically spoke the Word of the will of God. God talked. God's hand moved to heal and God's power went forth and they were made whole causing God's results. Disciples did the same thing. If you read Acts, they spoke the Word boldly, which was God talk. The hand moved to heal, which was God's power, and power to witness gave God's result in every single area of their life. And every believer has this ability. All right, go to Mark chapter 16. All right, this part of Scripture was written definitely directly to you. Mark 16, look at verse 15. And he said unto them, Go you into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved, and he that believes not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven. He sat on the right hand of God, and they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. So this is what believers are called to do, born-again people in the kingdom of God. They're called to preach, to heal, and to cast out devils. As a believer, you have the legal right and the authority to heal, to pray in tongues, and to cast out devils. Verse 18 says, They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Jesus gave this commission not only to the disciples back then, but to people even in this day. Any believer can lay hands on the sick, and the promise is that the sick shall recover. Now notice who it says, a believer. Say, a believer. A believer in what? A believer who believes in their authority and their power and the results of what they're going to get according to the Word of God. A believer is one who acts on the Word of God, just not knows the Word of God. In order to believe something, you need to act on something. There has to be an action there. If you say, I believe that, then you should be acting like you believe that because a believer acts on the Word of God, which is basically faith. If he said that we could heal the sick, then we should expect to see the sick healed. If he said we could cast out devils, then we should certainly expect demons to obey us. Any believer can lay hands and expect nothing but healing. Now notice what it doesn't say. It does not say lay hands on the sick and they shall feel. It says they shall be healed. When you lay hands on somebody, sometimes you're going to feel the life of God flow through you. Sometimes you may heal, they may feel a heat. Other times they may feel nothing. But it makes no difference whether or not you have a feeling 
the Word of God is superior to any feelings that you have. The Word remains true. Whether feeling comes or heat comes or anything else, healing always comes because that's what was promised in the Word of God. One may be healed by the power of God and never feel anything. Others may feel surges of God's healing power, heat, goosebumps, shock, but do not expect feeling, expect healing. And I've seen it in my own ministry there. We've had a prayer line where we prayed for people who were down and out or sick or depressed. And you pray for people and people would fall on the floor and get touched by the power of God. And they'd be back next week. And for some reason, they were the same exact way that they were to begin with. You'd lay your hands on other people who'd look at you like they didn't even want to be there and you were crazy. And the next week, they came back with a testimony of how God healed them of something. So you just, you can't figure it out really with your natural mind. You just lay your hands, you believe for healing. And it doesn't matter if they fall down, stand up, goosebump, not goosebump. You just believe for healing and turn them loose and let them do, praise God, whatever they want to do. And whenever you lay hands on somebody, you should be believing something. You just don't lay hands on them. You want to release the anointing to do something. So if it's for healing, I'm believing for healing. If I want to stir somebody up, I'm believing they get stirred up. If I'm believing the power of God will energize them on the inside, then that's what I'm believing. But I just don't lay hands on people just to lay hands on people, praise God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So faith basically has nothing to do with feeling. Feeling has nothing to do with faith. Faith believes the word in spite of the pain, in spite of the symptoms, in spite of the feelings. Believers shall lay hands on the sick and they shall what? It also says believer here shall cast out devils or eject or expel demons. Demons desire to express themselves and have influence in the natural realm. The only way they can do that is through a human being. The only way God can have influence in the natural realm is how? Through a human being, by operating through a human. So basically, demons want action. They want to be able to do things in the natural realm. In order to do that, they have to influence human beings to get it done. Jesus called sickness and disease demonic oppression. Go to Matthew chapter 8. All right, Matthew chapter 8, look at verse 16. When the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. Now notice, they brought unto him many that were what? They were possessed with devils. So here's a class of people that they brought to Jesus. The class was people who basically were possessed with some kind of demonic spirit or had a spiritual influence in their life. Here it says he cast out the spirits. How did he do it? With his word. The results was he healed all who were sick. Now this implies all those who got healed that were sick had some kind of demonic activity in their life at that time. He cast out the demonic activity, the devils, and he healed all that were sick. So basically healed, healed all that were influenced or possessed by the devil. So sickness basically, you have to look at it as demonic oppression. It is under the curse. It's certainly not under the blessing. Every disease that there is has a life. You know what that life is called? This is a revelation for you. A germ. A germ. What does a germ do? Tries to get in the physical body, then grow. It is an evil life. It's not of God. And sometimes it's referred to as something called a spirit of infirmity. It gives life to the disease or the growth or the germ, just as your spirit gives life to your physical body. Just as your body, when the spirit leaves, dies, 
So will a disease, when the spirit of infirmity is cast out, that disease will die and it will disappear. So human sickness and disease begins from a tiny germ, an evil satanic life sent to live in and possess and destroy a physical body. As long as that life or that spirit of infirmity exists in that body, the growth of the disease will continue the destruction of that body. But as soon as the germ or the evil spirit or the spirit of infirmity or the evil life has been cast out of the body, many times in Jesus' name, the growth or the disease dies. It will decay and pass from the body. This is basically the simple process of healing. The effects of the disease or the growth will disappear a short time after. Remember Jesus, he spoke to the fig tree, they went back the next day, and then the tree was dead. Why? Because when he spoke, he did not hit the limbs, he hit the root. When he killed the root, then the tree died. So when we're speaking under the power of God, we are speaking basically to the root, which is a spirit of infirmity. Does that mean the symptoms will follow it out of there? No, it may take a while for the symptoms to leave your body, even though the spirit of infirmity has been cast out. Now, can it all happen at one time? It can. That's called a miracle. Not a healing, it's a miracle, an instant deliverance, an instant thing that takes place. When sickness attacks the physical body, it's two lives warring or fighting against each other. You've got the evil life or the germ or the disease or the spirit of infirmity, and you've got your natural health and the God nature on the inside of you. I mean, when you think about it, even doctors understand that if they can kill the root of the disease, the person will be healed. That's why they use things like chemotherapy. That's why they use things like radiation. What are they trying to do? They're trying to kill that germ or kill that seed on the inside. And if they can kill that seed, then all the symptoms and the sickness will go away also at the same time. But the only problem is in the natural way is the only way they can kill that thing is to also affect the physical body at the same time. Are you following me? So even though they're going after it with chemo, it's still messing up the rest of the physical body because it's so strong the physical body can't take the chemo or can't take the radiation that continually hits them all the time. But all that doctors know how to do basically is to give those kind of things. I mean, every pill that you take that attacks the symptoms that you have has side effects. Every single one. Some have three or four. Some have 54. You can take one for chronic headaches, and one of the side things, it'll give you headaches. So how do you know if it's working or not? Come on. Did you take it for your headache? Yes. Do you still have a headache? Yeah, but it may be giving me the headache now. I may have got delivered and then re... See, and that's the way it works. Why? Because they're doing the best they can, but they can't do it that way. That's why we're going to step into the power of God and the anointing and the, the radiation from the Holy Ghost, praise God, to put in people's life, and we're going to kill that thing at the root. And once we kill at the root, it's going to leave their bodies, praise God, because the power of the Spirit in Jesus' name is much bigger than any spirit of infirmity that you're going to run into. But you have to realize sickness disease is demonic. Sickness disease is from a, it's not just what they label it as, the flu or this or that. No, it's demonic. Because if it's the flu, it's accepted. What'd you have? Well, I had the flu for a week. And she had the flu, and they had the flu, and you'll probably get the flu. Well, I'll get the flu. It's a demonic thing, and it makes you want to stand against it then when you understand it. So what do we want to do? We want to speak to that germ or that spirit of infirmity that's on the inside. We want to run it out in Jesus' name, and then the, the symptoms will follow it at the same time. All right, go to Luke 13.
All right, Luke 13, are you there? All right, look at verse 11. Oh, back to 10. And Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Verse 11, And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed together and could no wise lift herself up. And when she saw Jesus, he called to her to him and said unto her, Woman, thou art loosed of thine infirmity. Now notice this lady had a problem, didn't she? She was in the church, in the synagogue. Her problem basically was a spirit of infirmity. How many of you know it wasn't from God? No, it was a spirit of infirmity. Look at verse 16. He said, And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has bound, lo, these 18 years be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? So notice even Jesus said, this thing came from the enemy. It came from the devil. It didn't come from me. How was this lady bound? She was bound with a spirit of infirmity. Now, how many of you know if she's living in this day and age and she was bowed over and couldn't get up and she went to the doctor, they would not diagnose a spirit of infirmity. They would diagnose arthritis of the spine. They say it's displaced vertebrae. They may say she's bowed over with some kind of disease. But notice the real root of the problem was she had a spirit of infirmities. And how many know that the doctors are correct because they basically see the symptoms of it, medically they're correct, but they don't understand that there is a germ or a life there that's spiritual on the inside of them that has to be driven out at that time. How many know they can run as many CT scans as they want to run and it's not going to appear a spirit of infirmity on the person? See, they're gone as far as they can go, but we can go further because of who we are and what Jesus has already done for us. So Jesus spoke and removed the spirit of infirmity, the life of the disease, and she was then healed. So how did Satan bind this lady? He bound her with a spirit of infirmity. Now, do you think there's still spirits of infirmity today? Yes. Do you think when the New Testament started, all the devils left and ran someplace else, and now there's no demons around? But you don't hear demons, basically, and, and Satan equal to sickness and disease unless somebody's really possessed or something like that. But he wants to deal with physical bodies. He wants to deal with you through unforgiveness. He wants to deal with you through offense. He wants to deal with you through worry. What's he trying to do? Get a place someplace where you'll, where you'll get to a place to where you can manifest him. How I many know if you get all stressed out and you get all worried and everything and pretty soon somebody walks by and says something you don't like, you're more apt to scream at him and holler at him. How uh, you know Satan can't do that without you? So what's he doing? He's trying to influence people and human beings, just like God needs human beings to do the same thing. Praise God. All right, go to Luke chapter 4. All right, Luke chapter 4, look at verse... 31. And he came down to Capernaum, a city in Galilee, and taught them on the Sabbath days. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for his word was with what? Power. With power. And in the synagogue there was a man which had a spirit of unclean devil and cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have you to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the devil had thrown them him in the midst, he came out of him and hurt him not. And they were all amazed and spake among themselves, saying, What a word is this? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they do what? They come out. So here's an unclean spirit. Basically was in this man, spirit of infirmity, unclean spirit, all spirits basically. Jesus basically recognized it and basically said, Be quiet or shut up and come out. 
The demon started manifesting, but basically with authority and power, he ran him out of the man's life. Now notice once again, this guy was in the church. Say he was in the church. Hallelujah, just a thought. Glory to God. So a lot of times you see Jesus doing different things. He'll speak. Other times he'll lay hands on somebody and speak. Sometimes he'll just lay hands on people. What's he doing? He's being led and he follows by the Holy Ghost. So he healed them and delivered them and set this guy free. All right, go to Matthew 17. All right, Matthew 17, look at verse 14. And when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and sore vexed. For oftentimes he falls into the fire and oftentimes into the water. And I brought him to the disciples, and they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither unto me. And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Once again, we see somebody sick with some kind of disease, basically. He has a disease, and what happens is his son is a lunatic. He's suicidal. And this is how mixed up it is. Sometimes you wonder how people you see on the news are so mixed up because they've got a devil problem. See, look at demons. Demons try all their life to, to get in influence or get in a physical body. Then they finally get in one, and what do they do? They kill it. And then they're left without a body again. I mean, how could you be so stupid? You'd think you would protect it once you got in it. But they're so dumb that they destroy their house, and then they got to go looking for another house. Well, if you wanted to destroy the other house, you'd have a house. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Just a thought. Praise God. Just a thought. Glory to God. So the disciples came basically and they tried to cure him and they could not cure him. And they came to Jesus and said, hey, we can't cure him. And Jesus simply said, that's okay. Don't worry about it. Good try. Good try, you guys. It's a great, great attempt. I'm proud of you all for trying, but now let me take over. No, notice what he said. You perverse and wicked generation. And said, what's the matter with you? Why don't you do what I told you to do? I've told you how to do it. I've been teaching you for three years. Now do what I'm supposed to do. He calls them a faithless and perverse generation. How many want to be under Jesus' ministry? Glory to God. That was then, but this is now. There's still a generation of believers who will be able to cast out the devil, praise God, when we walk in the things and understand the authority and all that we have. All right, go to Matthew chapter 12. I think we're going to make it here. We're on speed dial. All right, Matthew chapter 12, look at verse 22. Then was brought unto him one possessed with a devil or a demon, blind and dumb. And he healed him insomuch that the blind and the dumb both spake and saw. Now, what was this guy's problem? I mean, he couldn't, he couldn't talk. He couldn't see. And I mean, if anybody diagnosed him, they'd have no idea what it is. But notice, it was simply a blind devil and a dumb devil. So when he brought him to him, Jesus cast out the devil. And when the devil left, he could then see and he could then speak. How many know things get better when the devil gets out? Hallelujah. All right, go to Matthew chapter 9. All right, Matthew chapter 9, look at verse 32. 
And as they went out, behold, they brought to him a dumb man possessed with a devil. And when the devil was cast out, the dumb man spake. And the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never so like this in Israel. Once again, what was this guy's problem? Why, why couldn't he talk? Why was he dumb? There was a spirit in his life of dumbness there that kept him from doing it. So doctors may call it arthritis, but sometimes it's a binding spirit of the devil is the real cause. The scientific term may be underdeveloped vocal cords or dead nerves in the ear, but the real trouble may be a deaf and dumb spirit that should be cast out in Jesus' name. Depression is demonic. Valium is not the cure for it, just a treatment for what's going on. Demons of insecurity, ones of low self-esteem, ones of bitterness, anger, abuse, addiction spirits, nicotine, drugs, alcohol, sexual spirits, porn devils, fear, rejection, divorce, cause people to do and act even when they don't want to. We can conclude that sickness is of the devil. We have power over the devil in Jesus' name. We can rebuke the demons that have bound and possessed people's bodies with disease and cast out the spirits of infirmity. The disease will die. The sick will recover. Once you cast it out, consider it gone and dead. No matter who disagrees with you, you know the truth of who you are and what you can do. If the church does not exercise its rights over sickness and disease, then sickness and disease will remain rampant in this earth realm. If the church doesn't do it, who's going to do it? The, word ha the world has no right to deal with spirits and sickness and disease and infirmity. We have that right. Authority is ours. We need to use what he's given us, make the difference, and help others to live and stay free in their lives. Hallelujah. Glory to God. All right. Say, I have it. I really got it. I've got authority. I've got power over all devils. I choose to recognize the enemy and immediately deal with the enemy. I cast down every thought, every imagination that is not in line with God's Word. I choose to live free from worry, fear, down days, symptoms, pains, fatigue, depression. I choose to have all good days from here on out because I have the authority to make a choice. This is the day the Lord has made and I choose to rejoice and be glad in it. All right, hallelujah. Glory to God.